Welcome to Hindsight, the podcast where I talk about my memories with old games. Today's game is The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Skyward Sword is the most recent game I've covered on Hindsight to date, released around winter 2011 on the Wii, the Nintendo Wii. There was a package of the game that included a special edition gold Wii remote and a 25th anniversary soundtrack CD, both of which I still proudly have to this day. As a Zelda title, it features an amazing soundtrack, gorgeous scenery, and unique, item-centered boss fights. Skyward Sword could also be the last of these kind of Zelda games if Nintendo decides to follow up the massive success of Breath of the Wild with more Zelda games which aren't derived from the dungeon and item format that longtime fans are accustomed to. I'm going to split today's episode into a few different segments, uh, story, dungeons, and items. We'll start off with story. Skyward Sword is a prequel of sorts to the kindergarten macaroni sculpture that people call a Zelda timeline. The story features a lot of emphasis on beginnings, including stories of the recurring Triforce, the goddesses, and the three primary characters in the series, uh, those characters including Zelda, Link, and Ganon. I'm afraid at this point that Skyward Sword might be the earliest Nintendo dives into the Zelda history, meaning the deep history of some of the world's people may never be uncovered, especially in the case of the Sheikah and their technology. You play as Link, who is a student at the Skyloft Knights Academy. The game opens with Link preparing to take his knight's exam and to reveal his big old crush on Zelda. Of course, for perhaps the first time in this series, Link has a competitor in the form of Groose. Groose is the jock bully of Skyloft, complete with two wingmen who back him up on every insult and plan enacted against Link in order to try and attract Zelda's attention. Groose has birdnapped Link's red loft wing so that he is unable to partake in the exam. Link discovers the absence of his Loftwing after he jumps recklessly off of the floating island and tries calling for his bird only to nearly plummet to his demise, to be saved by Zelda and her Loftwing at the last moment. Zelda then proceeds to threaten Groose within an inch of his sorry life and demand he return Link's Loftwing. Groose dodges the demands and gives them a rough idea of where the bird is located. Link goes to sword training so that he can rescue his feathered friend down below the island uh, after going through the monster-infested cave. You know, because that's a safe thing to have on your tiny village island. You rescue the bird and complete your training, becoming essentially a full-fledged knight. I should break here to mention that it's completely unclear why they have such a robust military unit because Skyloft is the only town in the clouds, and they don't appear to have any concerns with crime in any way. 
The night after finishing the exam, you are led to the goddess statue by some spiritual force and uncover the master sword within. Zelda's father is revealed to be a keeper of the sword, waiting for someone to be chosen by it. As such, he allows you to take the blade and you meet Fee, the spirit of the master sword and master of letting you know when your batteries or hearts get low. The next day, to celebrate Link's victory, him and Zelda go for a little joyride which gets rudely interrupted by a rampant whirlwind which sucks the both of you down into the land below, a forsaken place that no Skyloft citizen is allowed to venture down to. Link wakes up in the sacred forest, uncovering the temple which looks quite like the goddess temple up on Skyloft. You meet Impa, who informs you that the imprisoned outside of the temple is beginning to break free. The seal the goddess Hylia put on the creature is wearing thin. She tasks you to return the giant Furby back to its banished realm. Afterward, you begin searching for Zelda in the forest, meeting the little Kikwi creatures, mischievous little raccoons which inhabit the forest area. You move forward to find Zelda and reach the Forest Temple. You make your way through this forgotten temple and meet Girahim, the evil leotard-wearing antagonist. He runs away before you're able to dispatch him, and you complete this dungeon, returning some power to the Master Sword. Impa tells you that Zelda is at the temple and has an important task in keeping the imprisoned at bay. You must continue gathering the power of the Master Sword in order to defeat the evil for good. You ascend back to the sky using an incredibly powerful air current and the sailcloth parachute you received from Zelda, returning to the goddess statue in Skyloft to return a piece of the sky map to the shattered mural within the chamber. The map glows and shoots a beam out to reveal a path down to another temple on the ground below. You venture down toward the volcano area and utilize bombs, hooks, and other abilities to make your way through to the dungeon, which has been overrun by monsters. You dispatch these monsters and make your way through to the boss chamber, and gain even more power for your sword. Fee is beginning to get buff. Return to Skyloft and uncover the final piece of the map. Make your, your way to the ocean. When you arrive in Lanayru, the ocean is dried up. This desert is a barren wasteland with not a living soul in sight. Make your way through and discover time reversal stones which do exactly what they sound like. Utilize these stones to turn portions of the land back to their previous form, filled with water and lush fauna. Make your way to the center of the desert and uncover the crumbled ruins working through it to gain the final shred of power for your sword gal. It's time to seal away this monster for good. Return to the temple and discover that the imprisoned is escaping again. Oh, and Groose followed you down here too. Groose runs and admits his uselessness after watching you defeat the giant worm-like creature and its new dangly appendages without much issue. The imprisoned is sealed away for good now, right? Well, no, not quite. Impa informs you that you as a wielder of the sword still lack the courage to face the evil head-on in its fullness. You need to return to the temple of the Master Sword and discover how to awaken the goddesses and receive their blessings. Return to Skyloft and use the harp item to open a path through the cloud sphere, which has 
uh, blocked off your access to the northwest area of Skyloft. Until now. Within, you discover a giant sky whale which will attack you. Defeat the creatures controlling this peaceful beast and free it before moving on to the Temple of the Master Sword. Fee has a little dance session here and informs you that you should be able to use the blade to open portals to the Silent Realm, as a spiritual world mirroring the existing one. From this place, you should be able to find the goddess's dwellings and awaken their powers to receive their blessing. Moving again through the forest, mountain, and desert, finish the Silent Realm Trials, collection quests where you must hunt down soul shards to awaken your inner power. Utilizing this power, you can access additional temples in each area and rescue the dragons which represent the three goddesses, obtaining the blessings from them. After obtaining all three blessings, you should return to the desert dragon and finish the boss rush, uh, boss rush challenge in order to receive the unbreakable Hylian shield, which will help drastically in your final fight. When you're ready, return to the temple. Face the imprisoned one last time with the help of Groose, who has spent his time building a cannon surrounding the sealed grounds in order to keep the beast at bay. Sealed away, Impa will instruct you to travel through a portal to the past in order to defeat the evil in its own time. It's here that you fight Girahim a final time, discovering his identity as the antithesis to the Master Sword, a blade to vanquish all light. Defe defeat him through a series of short fights with increasing difficulty. Afterward, Demise awakens, the embodiment of evil wielding the Blade of Darkness. You enter his battlefield and fight him using the Master Sword and the Skyward Strike in order to crush him. Demise, in his final, dying breath, swears vengeance on you and Zelda, placing a curse on you, stating that when the two heroes rise, the evil force shall always rise against them. Fade to black, you win. Now, let's talk about the dungeons. Uh, I don't remember all that much about the dungeons in this game, but I'll do the best that I can. The temples do an excellent job of making use of Skyward Sword's utilization of motion controls, for the most part. From swinging your sword to rolling bombs, the puzzles often include challenges which force you to think creatively about how you can best slash, stab, and otherwise conquer your foes and the puzzles it hands you. You'll encounter many switches and enemies that can only be hit by swinging your blade in a specific direction, and you'll come across buttons which require you to roll bombs like bowling balls. The Forest Temple is a great introduction to these concepts, and it reminds me a lot of the Forest Temple in Twilight Princess uh, aesthetically, being very focused on the natural look. 
making you slash at and swing from vines to make it through to the end. Grab the boss key, which uh, in this game was their own kind of 3D puzzle, uh, forced you to move a square key around, rotating it to find the way in which it fits into the keyhole uh, without hitting any walls inside. I thought these little shape puzzles were a fun way uh, to make unlocking doors a little more interactive, but I know there's a lot of fans who felt it didn't add anything to the experience. The boss fight here with Garahim, uh, as I previously stated, uh, there's not much more to say on that one. The Mountain Temple features a lot of interesting movement utilizing rolling balls in lava pits. I thought this idea uh, in this dungeon worked a lot better on paper than in practice. Most of the dungeon was pretty much just moving through these rolling platforms to get from room to room with little else in the way of puzzles or mechanics. There are some fights with gauntless, uh, Gauntlet Lizalfos, which block your attacks from certain directions. Get through the dungeon and fight the boss, a lava rock monster which you will have to utilize bombs to damage and knock down. The real difficulty in this fight is making sure you don't run out of stamina, which is helped by the placement of several stamina fruit throughout the arena. Breath of the Wild could learn a thing or two from that. The Desert Temple, I honestly don't remember very well. I know they mess with uh, time stones, uh, but it must not have been in a very memorable way. There's a set of these three chambers you need to activate outside of the temple before you can open the door uh, inside to make your way through, all which utilize the time stones in pretty cool ways. A lot of enemies are time-sensitive, so when they're not activated by the time stones, they'll disappear or like turn into skulls on the ground. Uh, you can utilize the stones in that way to avoid combat to an extent. I don't recall the boss here, but I have a feeling it might be a second fight with Girahim. The second set of dungeons are similar to the first, so I don't have a lot to say on them. The second forest temple is more water-based, utilizing some of the movement you learned in the previous desert ocean temple. I don't remember the puzzles here, though. Uh, the boss, however, is my favorite in the entire game. He's a robotic, six-armed warrior who you have to disarm using the grappling hook item, and then slash him down. You have to make good use of your sword and shield skills to take him down, and it's a great test of your ability to make it through this second half of the game. The second mountain temple definitely exists, uh, but all I can remember is that it's a volcano, but hotter. The desert temple, though, is very unique. It takes place inside of an old ship and makes use of the time stones. The puzzles here involve a lot of cool tricks, like uncovering, the uh, uncovering or restoring broken switches with the time stones, and uh, filling chambers with water to swim through them. The boss here is Tentalus, a weird-looking, anthropomorphized tentacle creature who shatters the boat throughout the fight. It's a very fun fight and makes great use of the bow and arrow item. Now, uh, I'll talk about the items in the game. Skyward Sword has some pretty cool items, some of which are fairly unique to this game, though you have a lot of Zelda staples here. Uh, grappling hook, bow and arrow, shield, slingshot, and bombs. But the one item I really want to talk about is the beetle. 
The Beetle makes use of the motion controls, of course, uh, given the way this game functions normally. It's a flying insect device you can use to scare enemies, grab items, and activate switches. I think it's a defining item for this entry in the series, and I will fight people on that one. You also have a bug net to catch different bugs throughout the various areas of the game, uh, which you can use to upgrade different items. Speaking of upgrading items, there's an excellent upgrade system that's centralized in the bazaar up in Skyloft. You can use rupees and these various collectibles, such as the bugs, to power up all of your items and make them more, more useful. Add bonus pellets per shot to your slingshot, add a hook to the beetle, increase the draw speed and your uh, quiver capacity for your bow, more capacity for your bombs, etc. There's a whole, whole lot of uh, diverse ability you can add to your items, which is pretty unique to this game. I can't really think of any other Zelda games that let you uh, like change your items like that, really. And I thought that was very cool. You can also use the upgrade counter to upgrade your shields. I mentioned it briefly with the Hylian shield being unbreakable, but throughout the game, as you get through the different temples, you'll gain access to different shields, each with their own uh, progressively higher durability. Uh, each of the shields also has its own uh, kind of unique ability. So the first one is made out of wood and thus uh, can't be shocked. The second is metal and thus can't be burned. And so on. The shields, uh, like I said, feature a durability system, which would be utilized more in Breath of the Wild, and it made combat a lot more intense, uh, as a botched block could often lead to damage or destruction of your shield. The game also featured a pretty unique badge system, where you could collect unique items called badges, which would give you buffs for carrying them in your inventory kind of like passive abilities. These buffs were abilities like bonus sword damage, uh, extra hearts, increased healing when you pick up hearts, and so on. There was a lot of strategy in picking these badges and inventory items, as uh, all of your potions, shields, and badges took up a very limited number of inventory spots. Inventory spots you could increase with backpack upgrades, though. I personally loved how they made you choose between safety and combative builds with these limited spaces. The last thing I want to talk about here is the uh, side quests. There's a character in, side in Skyloft, uh, but I guess you could just call it Side Quest City, who thrives on the happiness of its inhabitants. As you help the citizens of Skyloft with their uh, separate little quests, you collect the physical embodiment of their happiness in the form of happiness crystals. Return numbers of these crystals to this character, and they will grant you various upgrades like wallet increases and uh, unique badges. That's about all I've got for Zelda Skyward Sword. What are your memories with this game? Uh, are you looking forward to the remaster in July? Let me know on my Twitter or in my Discord channel. I've got links to both of those in the episode description. I'll catch you next time when I talk about another game from my past. 
Until then.